Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to BGN Radio with Brandon Lee Gowden and Jimmy Kemsky. Yo, what's going on, everybody? This is BGN Radio, episode number 355. I am the under-the-weather Jimmy Kemsky from phillyvoice.com. With me, as always, Brandon Lee Gowden, leadinggreennation.com. Eagles are now 5-0 and after heading out to the West Coast, beating the Los Angeles Rams. 23 to 14, I think it was. So funny how, like, we don't pay attention to the scores that closely. It's just kind of what happened in the games. Uh, but anyway, we'll talk uh, at length about the Eagles' win out in LA. But before we get to all that, Brandon, why don't you tell us where we can find the finest meat snacks in the land? Well, I'll do that, but I have a quick tangent, and it's that you said you're feeling under the weather. Yes. Does anyone ever say they're feeling over the weather? And if mm. they do, that probably is interpreted as they're like feeling done with the current weather that's happening, right? When you're over the weather, you're like, oh, I'm over this bad weather. I'm over right. it. I'm annoyed it's with it. It's negative either way. Yeah. Yeah. So what's going on with that phrase? I don't know. Anyway, uh, you know what is great? You know what would have you feeling over the weather in the sense of you're feeling great? is Righteous Felon Craft Jerky. You can go to RighteousFelon.com, use discount code BGN15 for 15% off your order. As I often say, the podcast is free. If you want to help keep the lights on here and you like the podcast and you want to help support it, then why not go over to RighteousFelon.com and use discount code BGN15 for 15% off your order of the finest snacks in the land, also the same discount code works at wildrangerpet.com for 15% off dog treats. But Jimmy, we have a loaded, fantastic show for the listeners today with the Eagles 5-0 and coming off that 23-14 win over the Rams. Indeed. Um, I'm going to start with A.J. Brown, who is awesome. <laughs> like, Let's just be real about how good he is. Last three games at the Buccaneers, nine catches. 131 commanders week four nine catches 175 two touchdowns and then against the Rams six catches 125 including that one hander probably didn't probably didn't even need to catch it with one hand <laughs> like he probably could have reached that with both and he was a little upset with himself on that play too that um because he once he caught it he was like okay what do I do now and like should I fight in the sideline get out of bounds because that was of course at the end of the first half which was just a killer drive by the Eagles. 32 seconds, I 32 or 35. 32 seconds off the 32 clock. 32 seconds from their own 25. So they went 75 yards in 32 seconds, which, by the way, <laughs> remember when they didn't try to score at the end of the first half? Was that the Patriots? Yes. Was week one was or week, week two? It was week one in the Patriots game. Yep. So that decision looking mm. worse <laughs> now uh, that we can see that they have the explosive talent to do that. But, you know, he was phenomenal again in this game. 
Um, and he's been that for the last, you know, three weeks, of course, after he was frustrated with not getting the ball uh, a lot against the Minnesota Vikings week two. So, yeah, I mean, he's really he's really broken out here these last three games. He's over 400 yards uh, these last three games, just totally bullied uh, uh, Emmanuel Forbes a week ago. And then in this game, it was kind of just everyone uh, had a hand in, in uh, you know, A.J. Brown kind of going off here. So um, he has a chance to be better even this year than he was last year, which is kind of hard to imagine. 1496 receiving yards last year. What did he have? 11 touchdowns, I think, last year. Does that sound right to you? I'm not sure. Anyway, he was awesome. <laughs> and the Eagles have, you know, one of the best one-two wide receiver duos in the NFL, obviously. On a side note with A.J. Brown, I interrogated him. Mm. I won't I won't write about this, but I'll mention it here on the podcast. Podcast I exclusive. Did it's a podcast exclusive. I had mentioned uh, in a mailbag. I had actually been getting getting questions for a while now from people asking like who is the most likely eagle to drop a flosser on the street like the floss the, mm. the flossy things for your teeth uh, because I don't know, for those of you who don't follow me on Twitter one of my bits is I post pictures of people that just drop flossers like the world is theirs uh, on the street and then I say what town I saw the flosser in um, anyway there's a flosser a used flosser on the stage of the Eagles Auditorium. And it's been there now for a month, over a month now. It's still sitting there somehow. I don't know how it hasn't been picked where up. Where the Eagles have I, their press conferences for Yeah, so like where here. Nick Sirianni sits and like you see video of him doing his press conference, up on the stage where he's at, there's a flosser on the stage and just hasn't been cleaned up for a month. Josh Tolentino of the Inquirer sent me uh, or told me that A.J. Brown was is on video in the auditorium using mm. a flosser during one of their YouTube features uh unscripted mm-hmm. i think it's called something like that and he's at the end of that episode using a flosser mm. so uh at the end of the game in the locker room there was like three of us it was me josh and um and olivia rayner um who are about to interview aj and he's like no hold on i don't want to do this twice i don't want to have, have like two different interviews wait till everyone else comes over let's mm-hmm. get the crowd over and then i'll do the interview i said like, okay well in the meantime i got a couple personal questions for you <laughs> and then like that's it. I'm, I'm like there's a flosser on the stage of the auditorium, uh, you know, back in Philly. And he's looking at me like, huh? And I'm like, there's a flosser, like, you know, for your teeth. It's on the stage of the auditorium. I don't know if you know, I don't know if you're aware it's there or not. I guess not. And he's looking at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, he's like, he's, you know, expecting questions about the game or whatever. I'm like, all right, let me, let me take a step back. In the Eagles auditorium back in Philly, there's a, you know, like the things that you use to floss your teeth, like the plastic things. And you dispose of them when you're done. One of those is on the auditor- is on the stage in the auditorium, and there's a video of you using a flosser in one of the you know one of the Eagles YouTube features. And now there's evidence mounting that it, it may have been you who dropped that flosser up there because you ha- like I don't know if you ever noticed, but he's got like oh he has great teeth. He's got beautiful teeth, AJ Brown. He might have so, the best like, teeth of anyone I know. Like seriously, like, he's, yes. he's definitely up there. So I, I said, you know, yeah, you got the great teeth. You were using the flosser in the video, and the flosser is on the stage in the same place where you used in the video. I'm like, I'm like, did, was was that you? Did you did you dispose of that on the stage? And he said, I plead the fifth. Wow, not <laughs> so a denial. He didn't even deny it. He just said he just basically had a no comment. And but we finally got to a point where he understood where I, what I was asking him. Obviously, it was a super weird question for a player to get after a game. But yeah, he he pled the fifth on that. But uh, so you know whether he is. 
uh, an offender of mm. just dropping flossers wherever you know he wants. He's, what can be said of him is that he's a phenomenal football player. <laughs> I like that tangent. Uh, kind of just running out of things to say about AJ Brown. That's kind of where I come down on it. It's like, yeah, he's awesome. And also he makes it look really easy. You can't really say too much more than that. Other than that sequence going 75 yards in four plays in uh, 32 seconds. I mean, that was the game. Like that was the, the turning point of the game. The Rams had just taken a four point lead there, go up 14 to 10. It's looking like, you know, this Eagles defense at that point is like going to struggle to stop the Rams from scoring moving forward. That didn't end up being the case, but at the time that looked like that was very much a concern and being the case. And the Rams were going to go up four points in the halftime, feeling good about themselves with a chance to have the ball at the beginning of the third quarter. So they could potentially make that a two score game. And all of a sudden, because of that drive, Eagles instead go up three points at halftime. Rams don't even score in the second half. That play, that drive, like that was like the defining moment of the game. And it was a drive engineered basically, like not quite solely. It doesn't work that way in football with 11 players. But I mean, AJ Brown had the big catch. He drew the horse collar tackle penalty. Then he drew the pass interference penalty in the end zone. Yeah. Like he made all that happen. That's what, uh, like, when you're talking about like your superstar players needing to make a difference, he did. That's exactly why you pay that guy like big time money. You invest premium resources into him. That is elite kind of stuff. And then they went brotherly shove, of course, mm-hmm. from the one yard line. Full one, a full one yard, which they don't always do. Uh, but they trusted it there with, what was it, one second left on the clock? It's like I think, two seconds, but yeah. Two? Okay. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, amazing drive to to basically just completely switch the momentum of that game heading into the half. And then obviously they dominated in the second half. Offense as a whole, I think, you know, and the Eagles as a whole, really, which goes hand in hand, they looked like as much as they could the 2022 Eagles for the most part. I think that's kind of the overall theme from this game. Kind of, uh, it wasn't totally the get right game in terms of the final score because of the red zone issues, which we'll certainly get to, but keeping it on a positive for now, offense certainly looks like it's clicking. Um, the offensive production points per game, our good friend Shil Kapadia tweeted this out. I don't forget, I don't know those numbers now right in front of me, but they're like points per game from last year to this year are looking pretty similar at this point. So I think the offense is finding its groove. They did. Sorry. They just generally look more in rhythm. I think, you know, Brian Johnson is kind of understanding things. Um, target distribution, mostly good. Not perfect, but mostly good. Pass run balance was almost 50-50. Um, yeah. So just really good to see overall that the Eagles could get it going. Uh, obviously, Jalen Hurts' success is a big part of that. Funny how it kind of goes hand in hand when the quarterback plays well. The offensive coordinator looks a lot better. And yeah, um, yeah this is a very encouraging performance against you know this Rams defense obviously is not necessarily a juggernaut we talked about not even knowing a lot of the players outside of Aaron Donald but still um to go out there and for the offense to look like that I thought that was very encouraging yeah they scored 23 points and a lot of that was like if if you're just to you know going to look at a score or box score or whatever it doesn't look all that impressive um certainly they got to start finishing in the red zone we'll get to that I think uh, in a little bit but they racked up 454 yards mm-hmm. hit on a bunch of explosive plays Hertz is over 300 uh, through the air, 15 rushes for 72 yards and the aforementioned uh, brotherly shove. Mm-hmm. And in this game as a runner, you know, one of the themes leading into this game 
like one of the you know the the like the line of questioning for both him and um and Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni was about self preservation where Jalen Hurts was and and even we talked about it pretty extensively in the podcast last week about how defender got anywhere in the same zip code as Hurts he was going down which I get like and I think that it's smart to 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 some degree mm-hmm. I think the Eagles have to find a balance of having Hurts be aggressive as a runner but also you know, having self-preservation, he's 50, he's making $50 million a year. Now you want him for the long haul. And it's also early in the season. You want him for the entirety of the season. You don't want to, you don't want him getting dinged up uh, in, you know, early October or in September, but in this game, he wasn't sliding. He was taking on uh, tackles left and right. He was breaking tackles and he looked like the Jalen hurts uh, of 2022 as a runner. And I think you would pose the question, like, if, is, is, is he the same as a runner during the last podcast? And oh, he looked think, slower. He just did. Yeah, I think, I think a, lot of, a lot of a lot of people sort of had that view. Um, and I get it. Like, it, when, when you watched him, it just didn't look impressive when he ran with the football. And it was because he wasn't trying to break tackles. So, like, he, he wasn't, like, trying to get big plays as a runner because I think he was just in his mind. He's like, I'm going down as soon as anyone gets near me. But in this game, he didn't have that mindset. And it was a big factor in them winning this game. He made a lot of big plays with his legs, extending drives, getting first downs. And, um, like, certainly we'll see that version of him in the playoffs. I don't know if we'll get that all season long when they have that, like, just that gauntlet of mm. tough opponents later this season. I think you're going to see a lot of that then. But uh, they do have to find that balance between aggressiveness and self-preservation yeah balance is the key word there I think you know they probably skewed a little too heavy in this game but obviously you're not going to complain about that with the results but going back to what I was saying heading into the game my thing was like it can't be a non-factor he can't make her be a non-factor like that's not good enough he cannot just can't be like well we paid him all this money and now he's not going to run at all or be a weapon in that capacity at all and you talked about that too in terms of like just keeping the you know, the read option play is like honest. Mm-hmm. If teams are just not, not going to worry about hurts, like you have to, that threat has to remain there at some level. And I think, you know, there was a bit better uh, of a balance, certainly than none at all in this game. And the, a lot, some of those runs happened in key moments. Like the, the highlight play obviously was that third down there where he, he took off running and he broke through a tackle or with the Rams defender, um, to get beyond the first down marker, that was like a that's a special yeah, play. Number zero, who is a big like is an edge defender, a bigger guy. He laid a shoulder into him mm-hmm. instead of wrapping up, but he hit him hard, and hurts bounced right off that. <laughs> like you, you got to bring him to the ground. You can't just try to check him like hockey check him style to the ground. He's not going to go down. Like he's he's a big guy himself. That was that, that was a great run. And that, that was, was along the right sideline. Yeah, it was third and seven too. You know, so it's like a, a big conversion there, demoralizing honestly for the defense. And uh, hurts his legs in addition to his arm were critical. And I, I talked about how the Rams' defense isn't a juggernaut, but they had the second best third down defense in the NFL entering Week Five. Um, and the Eagles went thirteen at eighteen on third down against them at seventy two point two percent, where they were only allowing just twenty six point. Uh, six seven percent that was only behind Jim Schwartz's Cleveland Browns number one so to be able to be as efficient as they were in third down uh, against this Rams defense like that is really impressive that does stand out a lot so again give Brian Johnson credit there give the players credit as well yeah Jalen Hurts 
second week in a row where you can say like he had his best game of the season again that's a that's a big factor in terms of like feeling positive about the team's outlook and i mean we've talked about this and we'll continue to talk about this just crazy how when you zoom out he just wins <laughs> he just he just wins yeah. he is 22 and 1 in a 23 game stretch here uh, he's the fifth NFL quarterback since 1950 to do that, joining Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Jim McMahon, and Joe Montana. Like, that's that's elite company. That's crazy. Um, those are some of the best quarterbacks to ever play. And Jim McMahon, who was playing with, you know, one of literally the best defenses to ever exist mm-hmm. in the NFL. So uh, that's pretty insane that that is his company. And I um, thought he made good plays with his arm in terms of, like, accurate throws. The touchdown pass to Goddard early on and the – uh, opening drive, tight window there uh, between two defenders, got the ball right to him. Um, obviously made the plays with his legs as well. Just he, he actually, one of his most impressive throws I thought was incomplete. It was on that sideline throw to A.J. Brown early in the game where Brown could only kind of get like one hand on it uh, in very tight coverage. But to even be able to give that play a chance, like that's that's that accuracy. That, we, that was his best throw of the game. Yeah. That, that, inco- <laughs> that incomplete pass. Yeah. It's crazy. In- incredible throw. It's similar to not quite exactly like, but it reminded me of the Goddard throw against the commanders where he just puts it like just beyond the outstretched arm of the defender, just to where only his player can get it and make a tough catch on it, or at least give his player a chance. So um, very encouraging stuff. I think you and I both said we weren't like concerned about Jalen Hurts' slow start in terms of him not being able to find it, but uh, it's good to actually see that he is hitting a stride here. Yeah, I mean, they've had a few star players that have gotten off to slow starts. Hurts being one. Um, Dallas Goddard, mm. Hassan Reddick. Goddard, of course, has his breakout game. Eight catches for, what, 117, I think, and and the, and the first touchdown of the game. So he had a big day. Uh, Hassan Reddick had mm. two sacks to basically close out the game uh, at the end of, the, you know, in, in the fourth quarter. So, you know, they're getting these. Of course, he had the cast on his hand the first uh, three weeks of the season. I think I think that really hampered him, and he didn't let yeah. on that it did. But it, I think it really Agreed. affected a lot of his. Pe- <laughs> he has big, three big sacks in two his... games since it's been off. <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he closed out each of the last two games, more or less. Yeah, uh, maybe less so in week four, but certainly. No, I mean, in this game. no that that sack he had. I was looking back at that in week four. Set up a third and seventeen where the Commanders punted, and then the Eagles scored their final touchdown. Now, okay. obviously, you know the final drive yeah. happened and then went to overtime, but still, like that sh- that could have been the game there. But yeah, I mean, he, I talked to him in the locker room after the game, and they so Rob Havenstein, their starting the Rams starting right tackle, came out for a play. And then a backup came in, Warren McClendon, I think his name was. I can't believe Sean McVay didn't call a timeout there. It's fourth down. <laughs> the game is on the line. Like, don't you want your starting right tackle, who's like maybe one of your best offensive linemen in the game? Because if they burn the timeout, then they could at least get their tackle back in. Like, that was crazy well, was to he, me. They did he, was he hurt? What happened with him on that play? I think my understanding, or as I saw it, uh, like it was one of those deals where a player is banged up and he wants to stay in. But because he was down long enough, the ref like makes him go ah, out because, got it. you know, okay. it was enough of a delay where it was like technically an injury timeout. So I think he probably could have come back in if they just took a timeout, but Sean McVay is dumb. So there you go. So they, I mean, he said after the game, we watch tape on everyone, but you know, the starters, the backups, third stringers, doesn't matter. They watch everyone on their upcoming opponents and he was ready. Like he knew 71. It's like, this guy doesn't handle speed well <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm just going to wreck him around the edge. And they even put a, a running back out there to chip. Yeah. And he's like, well, as long as I get around this running back, I'm going to get to the quarterback. And he did. You're not so, like, <laughs> the running back. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, I mean, he knew that like the, the running back is going to be basically mm-hmm. 
the 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 right tackle is going to be uh, more more worried about an inside move. He, like you can't if you have help on the outside, you cannot get beat inside. Right. So he knew that it was going to be shaded that way, and and also he already knew that that guy doesn't handle speed around the edge all that well anyway. So he knew it was going around the around the edge as soon as seventy one came in, and he made a big play. Like and he's he's a very smart player and he's obviously an extremely gifted player with the kind of speed that he has around the edge and this is now two weeks in a row where he made it where he made big plays high quality impact sacks also two tackles for loss in this game and an additional quarterback hit uh so five quarterback hits total or right including the sacks or three whatever i'm failing on my math no three five i think he had five pressures total um yeah just really good game by hassan radic who i think is heating up and might only continue to stay hot. I'll get to that later in the pod. Uh, interesting injury news ahead of the Jets game. Um, but yeah, definitely encouraged to see Reddick coming through. Dallas Goddard. Hey, nice that I laughed when you mentioned his name earlier because it's like, yeah, by the way, this guy is on the team and you should use him. And <laughs> yes. And to pat ourselves on the back here, this is like what happened on the first drive is exactly what we said should happen in terms of yeah. get him involved early. Like, force feed him the ball early on and specifically too with that tight end screen that has been such a money play for them that was a nice call by you yeah well i was like it always works for them like try it (laughs) especially like if you're struggling to get him going like give him something and so crowd out uh shout out again to brian johnson and nick sirianni for you know having that in the game plan and getting it going um i think the way he plays is such a tone setter in terms of like breaking through tackles and and he's, he's a guy with juice. He plays with energy. So I think that's just a good move in general um, to get him involved. And certainly after he had a slow start. So I agree with you. Uh, those were encouraging things to see. Jimmy, let's take a break here because then we will get into more observations from the game. But not before you tell me about Kristen Roach from Roach Realtors. Kristen Roach of Roach Realtors is the best realtor in the history of the universe. That's a direct quote from God. Uh, who said that in 2022. Uh, If we were to ask him again in 2023, he'd probably say the same thing. But you can reach her at 856-906-9295. Again, 856-906-9295 if you're looking to buy or sell your home. Brandon? Back after this. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Back here on BGN Radio, where... I only think it's right to give Sean Desai uh, some credit here for a game that looked like it could get out of hand, could be kind of a shootout after the Rams went down early and scored a touchdown on their opening drive, and Eagles had the likes of Mario Goodrich, Eli Ricks, and Nicholas Morrow covering Cooper Cup. Kind of big mismatches there, considering Goodrich and Ricks were healthy scratches for the Eagles in Week 1. Furthermore... The Eagles didn't even trust Goodrich last week in week four to be a backup slot. He was inactive as a healthy scratch, or was it week three? I think it was actually week three uh, when when he was inactive 
as a healthy scratch, even though they had lost Devontae Maddox. And, uh, you know, Nicholas Morrow wasn't even on the roster week one. <laughs> so so not yeah. the best uh, use of resources there, obviously. Um, ultimately, Sean Desai made adjustments. We saw some Bradley uh, Roby playing nickel cornerback, probably more than the Eagles expected him to play or he expected to play. Um, Darius Slay was matching up against Cooper Cup at certain points. Ultimately, they figured it out. And I think the Rams kind of, you know, helped them a little bit. There were some drops in there. There, there were some th- plays that were there to be made, and they, yeah. Stafford had some had some misfires. There were misthrows. Also, the Eagles' offense really helped the defense in the second half because they just stayed on the field for forever. They had those three, right. like, huge, time-consuming drives. So all those things said, though, I mean, to, to shut out a Rams' offense in the second half that has Puka Nakua and has Cooper Cup, and by the way, um, again, talking to a bigger point here, this is like the Rams' um, worst loss in terms of like point margin this season. And, um, you know, they played other games without Cooper Cup. So um, for the Eagles to do that, pretty impressive. Rams were averaging 10 and a half second half points this season. Eagles kept them to zero. Um, their defensive possessions in the second half went punt, 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 turnover on downs, and then the end of the game, two meaningless first downs there uh, after the Eagles uh, gave them the ball back on the turnover on downs with the clock basically almost run out. Uh, 95 yards on five Rams possessions there. Rams did not run an offensive play in Eagles territory after the second quarter. Uh, shout out to Shil Kapadia once again for the context there. So, yeah, uh, I think that's that's pretty impressive stuff from Sean Desai. Yeah, one, one player that we probably should have mentioned by now is uh, Jalen Carter, who, you know, had two sacks in this game. And beyond the two sacks, uh, the second – okay, the second of his two sacks – I guess the first one he just kind of tripped up Stafford. Stafford fell. Like he got a piece of his foot. The second one – he just he destroyed. That play. I give him credit for that. Yeah, yeah sure, sure, sure. I'm not, I'm not diminishing it, but it was, it wasn't like a highlight reel type of sack. Yeah. But the second one, he just wrecks the center just with quickness. Gets, you know, moves to the, moves to the left. Quick move, you know, back inside to the right, and just dusted that guy mm. and threw Stafford to the ground emphatically. Dude, that is one of the most violent sacks I think I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. Like, that's, it just tosses and legal. Toss yeah. the, and also totally Matt, legal. Matt Stafford's not like tiny. He's six three, two twenty. Yeah. <laughs> boom. Just throws him down. And uh the very next play after that, by the way, they're kind of backed up, like near their own end zone after that sack. He got I watched him. He got doubled. He beat the double, and then he got held by a third guy. <laughs> and in the end zone, they didn't call it. They should it should have been a, it should have been a safety because he got held in the end zone. Um I thought that was his best rush of the day. And then there was another play late in the – I think it was actually on Hassan Reddick's uh, sack against uh, the backup. Mm-hmm. He got doubled on that play too, and he beat that double, and both the guys that were blocking him ended up on the ground <laughs> with Jalen Carter uh, bearing down on Stafford. But Hassan Reddick basically just beat him there. He's awesome, man. And it's, it's – I somebody mentioned that on Fox they came up with like – five impact rookies so far throughout the season. And he wasn't one of them, which is like, what are you, are you people watching the games? This guy is like an absolute dominant force along the Eagles defensive line. And I think that they're just, they just see, okay, like before heading into this game, they probably just see 1.5 sacks. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many tackles he had, but it can't, it couldn't be more than like a dozen or so. So you look at that and you go, okay, that's not that great. But the way that he has played, he look. I mean, we kind of saw like the torch 
passing mm. in this because Fletcher Cox didn't play with his back injury. Didn't matter. So without Fletcher Cox, they just have a lot of really young guys, guys that they've that they pretty much all, you know, Contavia Street aside, mm-hmm. you have guys that they took only in the 27. draft. Right, still a younger guy, but they, I mean, they've they've invested heavily at the defensive tackle position in the draft with John Carter and Jordan Davis, Milton Williams in the third round, Moro Jomo in the seventh round, um, Tui in the in the sixth. He didn't play in this game either, mm-hmm. but Tui in the sixth round, um, and they just have all these young guys that that they've added to that spot, and they've been dominant in the interior of the defensive line. I think Howie Roseman's really kind of found, um, you know, sort of a. Um, what, what am I looking for a here? Market I guess. inefficiency. A market. Yes, thank you very much. Perfect. Market inefficiency with really building up both the interior of the defensive line, but also the interior of the offensive line as well. They've spent heavy resources, you know, two two second round picks on Landon Dickerson and uh, Cam Jurgens these last couple of years. So, or, you know, two two three years ago. So, I mean, they they've identified that as something that a lot of teams don't pay enough attention to, and they're dominant in there mm-hmm. on both sides of the ball. And you know, credit to Howie Roseman and, and a credit for to to you know Jalen Carter for being the player that he has been so far. Jalen Carter is very exciting. You talked about passing of the torch in terms of Cox to Carter, and obviously Cox is going to be back and still playing a lot. I mean, how about passing the torch from Aaron Donald to Jalen Carter? I mean, like okay, sure. I mean, obviously the Eagles put a lot of attention on Aaron Donald, but still, he is now up to zero sacks, which. He had obviously entering the game one quarterback, uh, no, so one tackle for loss and six quarterback hits in five games against Jeff Stoutland and the Eagles offensive line. And I went back and looked up the offensive lines he played against Jimmy. And obviously, Jason Kelsey was mostly a constant there, but not every time we, we had mm-hmm. talked a little bit about this going into the game. Let me read you the five offensive lines that. Uh, Aaron Donald has gone up against and has not been able to get a sack against. In 2014, Jason Peters, uh, I'm all these I'm going to do from left tackle to right. Jason Peters, Matt Tobin, David Mulk, Todd Harriman's, and Lane Johnson. 2017, Big V, Wisniewski, uh, Samalo had to come in as a rookie, and obviously, you know, he struggled as a rookie when he mm-hmm. had to play against Grady Jarrett, came in halfway for that game. Uh, Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson. 2018, Peters, Wisniewski, Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson, 2020, Peters, Sumalo, Jason Kelsey, Nate Herbig, Lane Johnson, and then on this past Sunday, it was Mylotta Dickerson, Jason Kelsey, someone we should also mention, Suo Peta, who yeah. came in, seemed to do a great job filling in uh, for Cam Jurgens. didn't really miss a beat. They only allowed two quarterback hits in this game and one sack, and obviously paved the way for rushing success as well, and then Lane Johnson, so... It's not just like, it's not just the fact that the Eagles have had a good offensive line is why they've been able to shut down Aaron Donald. Like they've had backups in there, specifically on the interior, and um, I mean, give the players credit, but also give Jeff Stoutland a credit credit for clearly having some kind of plan that limits one of the a future Hall of Famer. But getting back to the Jalen Carter of it all, he's up to three and a half sacks through five games. So he already has more sacks than Dexter Lawrence, Quinnen Williams, Chris Jones, Jeffrey Simmons, Davon Hargrave, and Cam, Hay- Cam Hayward did in their rookie seasons, just to name uh, several excellent defensive tackles in the NFL. And I wish, you know, I wish there was still a, a 16 game season because then you could do all the on pace stuff easier. Although the Eagles are through five, so whatever. But point being, uh, with three and a half sacks through five games, like Jalen Carter has a very real chance to either reach or surpass 
uh, Aaron Donald's nine sacks that he had as a rookie in 2014, right. or even Sue's 10 that he had in 2010. And I bring up both of those names because they both earned Defensive Rookie of the Year and Pro Bowl honors in the rookie seasons. And Sue was also all pro as a rookie. So like that's the kind of company that John Carter could be on. Obviously, he's not there yet in terms of he has to reach those numbers. He still has a long way to go, but he's on pace for that. Like he could conceivably do that. That is insane. Yeah, you made the Stoutland point um last week in the preview uh episode for this game. And it was a great one. Like that he's the constant uh of of you know all these Eagles offensive lines that have shut Donald down. Uh, over the years and he was invisible in this game and for good reason like they doubled him mm-hmm. <laughs> like constantly and even you know saw uh, an occasional rare triple team in this game too but credit the offensive line because the other guys on the line did nothing I mean they were getting one-on-ones across the board yep. and they those guys I mean they're not good like so like the yeah the, Aaron one Donald sack is, and two quarterback hits is working with nothing on that line and pretty much you know every team should be doubling him on pretty much every play because the other guys can't win their matchups. I mean, different story with other teams because, you know, the Eagles obviously have an, an elite offensive line and give them credit for shutting down these other guys in one-on-one matchups. But um, yeah, I mean, the offensive line did a great job in this game as well. Um, Can we get into some complaining now? <laughs> Do you think that's fair, Jimmy? Yeah. So I think like this game was, I think this is a great win and there's far more positives to come out of this game. Than totally there are agree. Negatives. Like in the other games so far this season, we could find, you know, a lot more obvious and glaring nitpicks. But with any game, there are going to be nitpicks. Why don't you lead us off on those? I think we have to start with the red zone offense. That's obviously the big one. And it includes another struggle or negative that I want to get into. You had three, the Eagles, three drives in the second, the first three drives in the second half. 7 plays, 75 yards. 17 plays, 83 yards. 10 plays, 72 yards. You look at that, you're like, oh, those are pretty successful drives. Right. They probably blew this team out. (laughs) Eagles got six points from those three drives. That's like, that's pathetic. That's terrible. Right. They were two of six in this game in the red zone. Obviously, the last drive there, they weren't trying to actually score as much as they were running out the clock. So fine. But two out of five isn't good either. And um, four of thirteen in the last three games, and I and I bumped that down to four of twelve because four, um, four of twelve. That's fine. Yeah. The Bucks won, also not trying to score. Oh right, good. yeah. When they just they just yeah they hammered them, and so yes. four of eleven really. If you're not counting that in another Rams game too. As someone who cares too much about like point differential, I'm a little bothered that like people because I've seen some people try to use that against the Eagles, including leading up to the last week's game. Like, well, you know, now, especially, they could have at least six more points if they really wanted to at the end of these games where they could have, like, kicked a, you know, a makeable field goal. So add a visible plus six to the Well, Eagles that's like that dumbass argument that people were making about their season last year where they had, I forget exactly how many one-score wins, but so many of those were just, you know, a team scoring a touchdown or a field garbage goal in, like, time. garbage time, and then they recover an onside's kick, and that's game. Like, that's not really a close game. I agree. It's like, so, like, it's kind of a similar thing. Like, they're winning these games. Yes. Like, totally legitimately. It's not like they're getting lucky in these yeah. games. They're, they're you know, they're, I wouldn't say dominating in all of them, but they've been the better team on the field for all five games so far, in my opinion. Yes. Uh, so Eagles converting just 42.11% of their red zone attempts. That's only five teams ranked below them. And this is a year after they ranked third best in the NFL in terms of red, red zone touchdown percentage at 68%. Now look, 
there's a lot of statistical analysis out there that suggests that red zone performance isn't necessarily sticky year to year. There's some variance there. So the Eagles were probably always bound to maybe be a little bit worse than they were from last year. Um, But still, that number is way too low. And I'm not worried about it because, like, what changed? Obviously, Shane Steichen is gone. Okay. But I don't think Brian Johnson is, like, the only reason the red zone offense isn't working. Like all the players are still the same. So there's that chain Steichen alone cannot be the difference between third and 27th. Like that does not explain things entirely. Right. It might be some of the drop off, but that is not the only reason why the Eagles red zone uh, is falling off. By the way, I should look at the, the uh, Colts red zone performance. I didn't think about that, but what I want to say about the red zone here, because I was looking up, I looked up every red zone play that the Eagles uh, have had this season did a little bit of charting and I tweeted out some of the results uh, on Twitter at Brandon Gowton. And I want to pull some of these up for you. If you did not already see them, especially Jimmy, I did not. Okay. So like, obviously there's some level of red zone uh, improvement to happen from a scheming standpoint, kinds of plays you can do different things. I'm just going to focus on personnel utilization here. Cause I think that's, I know where this is going. (laughs) Well, I think that's a big, a big issue. And it's it's just like you don't have to overthink it sometimes. So let's start with Eagles red zone targets so far this year. I'm going to go from most to fewest. A.J. Brown, seven. Dallas Goddard, five. He has one touchdown. Okay. DeAndre Swift, three. Devontae Smith only has two. So, okay, already that's not really great, especially because Devontae's not a player. I know he's like slider. But he's a guy who can win jump balls. Oh, he's balls. a 50-50 ball beast. Like pound for pound, the best in the NFL at that. And he has a touchdown, and he would have had two if not for the – so the first one was in week one. He came against the Patriots. He had that touchdown in the right corner of the end zone. And then in this game, that hurts almost hit him again. Rams defender broke it up. So Devontae Smith should have more than two, especially when the next three players all have won. Alameda Zacchaeus, Jack Stoll, and Quez Watkins all have one red zone target. And Devontae Smith only has two this year. So that's wrong. That's incorrect. That needs to be fixed. But here's the thing that really gets me. Kenny Gainwell, who I have, I guess now, I feel like famously been ragging on this season to the point where it's almost a bit, but it's not a bit. In red zone drives where Kenny Gainwell gets a touch this year, Jimmy, the Eagles are one out of six in terms of when they've actually tried to score. They're two, so he's okay. actually one of eight, two of the, game, the games that were and the run the clock down scenarios. Right. So I'll take those out. It's one of the six. When DeAndre Swift has been in, <laughs> he's have scored on six six touchdowns out of their nine tries. So okay. maybe Kenny Gainwell shouldn't be used in the red zone. Maybe that's like wasting plays. Who would have thought that that was the case? Um, and one of those, by the way, was a turnover and downs when Gainwell had that fourth down run. And the other one was that insane third and 11 run in the commanders game. So they're like, they're using them in high leverage spots too. This isn't just like first down, give the ball to him, see if he can get two yards. Like this is very poor misusage and sorry that I'm going long here, but I'm going to loop this in. Also like the Quez Watkins play on third and two where it's blocked up perfectly. Quez has to make that play at the same time. Why are you throwing the ball to Quez Watkins in a high leverage third and two in the red zone? Like, that's not good. Quez has to make that play 100%. Why are you using not your stars in key situations? It's not that complicated. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, DeAndre Swift. One of those four players should be either touching the ball or like being targeted 
in high leverage situations. And if you fail that way, if it doesn't work out, you can live with that. How can you possibly live going down on a ship that has, I don't know if this is making sense. How can you possibly fail when you're trying to get the ball to like Quez Watkins or Kenny Gainwell? Yeah, I mean, the reason they like Quez Watkins is because he can stretch the field. And I mean, like he, Nick Sirianni was asked about, you know, why the huge disparity in snaps <sighs> between Quez and Alameda Zacchaeus. And that was his answer because Quez can stretch the field now. Like, okay, fine. Like, I, you're in the red fine. zone. I get it. <laughs> right. So that's exactly it. Like, his field stretching ability isn't, is like, it's not. It's not a factor in the red zone when you're when you get in close like that because you know safeties aren't going to be parking themselves twenty yards off the line of scrimmage because you can't like there's just no room down there. So Lamont Zacchaeus, I think, pretty clearly has better hands. He's a better blocker and he's a better runner after the catch than Quez. Like Quez might take a, a screen and take it to the, like he's shown he can take it to the house. He's done it a few times. Like he did it against Arizona in 2021. Mm-hmm. He did it in the in the you know the the meaningless Dallas game that they got blown out in. Uh, he did it in a preseason game, I think against the Steelers. Yep. So he can maybe do that. But in, mm. in terms of like getting tough yards and breaking tackles, OZ all day is better at him yeah. than that. And the play that you're referring to, I mean, like it was blocked up and he just runs. He tried to go around the edge because he wanted to, he wanted to be near the, he, like he, he's not a guy that, that is averse to going out of bounds. Whereas OZ Will not like he will make defenders tackle him, and Quez tried to get around the edge to the outside. He ran smack into the defender, and the defender just rolled him right out of bounds with ease. They didn't get the first round, and Nick Sirianni was screaming at him after the play, by the way, and rightfully so. Uh, so you know maybe we'll see that disparity change a little bit. The numbers, by the way, I have them pulled up here. Uh, Quez got fifty-two snaps. Alamade got nine. That is not acceptable. Alameda has yeah. played really well when he's gotten his opportunities, and Quez over the last you know year and a half has yeah. not. It just doesn't make any sense. And that's just like not a, a non-factor too. Like actively bad, hurting the yeah. Eagles. The turnover, uh, turnover in the Commanders game, the fumble, the interceptions in the Cowboys game, the drop in the Super Bowl, like high leverage, like big spots has hurt the Eagles. And looking back at his last ten games. He has 68 yards combined. OZ, who didn't even log a, log a target in this game, has 69 yards in his last three games. He's one more yeah. yard than Quads Watkins does in his last 10 games combined. Like, and also, it's been a very long time since Quez Watkins has made a big play down the field. So I don't need to hear that, like, oh, it's this very incredibly value thing. Like, he's averaging, what, like 10 yards per catch or something? Like, I'm not saying never play him. I've said that all along. I'm not saying never play Quetz, but like just to put him out there as the, the the bona fide definitive wide receiver three, it's just it's just stupid. I don't like. It's really frustrating. It's it's these are nits to pick for sure. But like this team's obsession with just like mediocre at best players, like this, they, they, they I almost curse. They effing love them so much. It's like they're not good. <laughs> they're clearly and also it's not like not only are they not good, you clearly have so much better players on your team. Like use those guys. Stop using the bad guys. How is this complicated? Like it should be. It's be incredibly simple. I just it's so frustrating. Um, I will say because uh, I ripped on Gainwell. To his credit, he had a really nice third down play in this game he where did. he had a good block and pass protection, and he did one of those delayed routes, you know, like in Madden, where you'll see, like, you preview the play, and it has, like, that, uh, it's, like, usually, like, a sky blue or, like, kind of, like, a light blue it'll show. 
That's like the delayed route. The <laughs> Where run- he blocks for a minute yeah. and then he leaks out into the flat. Yeah. yeah, he had one of those. And that was really nice. Broke through a tackle. But I mean, okay, that's fine. And I'm not opposed to like a Kenny Gainwell dump off. But I'm getting pretty opposed to a Kenny Gainwell carry where he's only averaging 3.2 yards per carry this season. He had seven runs for 17 yards in this game. You have Boston Scott. I know Boston Scott isn't like a superstar, but he's he's actually played well even this year. And we talked yeah. about like he looked good in training. Like maybe get him a little bit more involved. And they clearly just don't like Rashad Penny. He's in the doghouse. He's a healthy scratch. But I mean, it's just way too. Well, much he wasn't game healthy. Though. I mean, he he got an illness. So he's he been he's been a healthy doubtful. scratch. But I think he was going to be a healthy scratch if they right. if that illness had not. And not, you know, come up out of nowhere on Saturday. I just think they have to adjust that. Gainwell's getting so way too many touches. It's literally, it's just in certifiably insane. I'll say every week that they gave him 18 in week one. That's just insane. Like, I don't know what they're watching. And to back up some of the red zone production, because I mentioned what happened at the end of those drives, uh, John Stolness had tweeted out that uh, inside the 20, DeAndre Swift has 13 rushes for 50 yards. That's 3.8 a pop, two touchdowns. Kenny Gainwell, also 13 rushes, 26 yards, just 2.0 per carry and zero touchdowns. So one thing I will say about the uh, about the running back uh, usage, you know, distribution of carries as I think they kind of have that right in terms of the amount that DeAndre Swift is getting. So he got 17 for 70 something yards um, and Gainwell got seven. So I don't know if you take that seven and you split it up between him and Boston Scott or whatever, but I think he can't just give it to exclusively to Swift throughout I the game. Agree with you, that. Gotta ma- you gotta manage his touches you look at like the Cowboys, Tony Pollard has a, mm-hmm. an, an insane number of touches so far. Christian McCaffrey for the 49ers is on pace for like four hundred and five touches so far this season. I think they're heading down a bad path with, you know, those two teams mm-hmm. with those two guys, particularly for, you know, Pollard had an an injury that ended the season last year. McCaffrey's been injured pretty consistently throughout his career. And it's a concern with DeAndre Swift. So you want to be able to keep him fresh. You want him to help you win games right now, but you also want to keep him fresh for the games that really matter. But I'm with you. Like the 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 other carries can't exclusively be going to Kenny Gainwell. And even more importantly, as you mentioned, use Swift in the high leverage situations, red zone. Yes. Um, you know, uh, third and short, like fourth and third, short, right. Yeah, thir- I mean, even like third and medium, I think there are some opportunities for him to get carries there or, you know, use him as a receiver. He was a factor in the in the passing game, by the way, in this game, Swift was um, more so yeah. than Gainwell's been. So, yeah, I mean, use him in the situations where you need him to make plays and then give Gainwell, give Gainwell the Derek Barnett equivalent snaps. <laughs> like, you know, like Barnett is coming in on like first and second down mm-hmm. when the opposing team is around like it's somewhere in between the forties. That's like the Derek Barnett area. Make that the Kenny Gainwell area. Or like a third and one, you know, sure. They, they did that in this game. That's fine. Especially when you're driving, you're blocking. Well, anyway, it's not like you gotta have it. It's not like game is on the line kind of third and one. And then, cause even if you fail in the third and one in theory, you can, you know, get to the touch push on fourth and one. Right. Um, but yeah, uh they they have to figure that out again boston scott by the way i know he has a limited amount of touches this year but i think he has like sit here i have the numbers right here he has six carries for 43 yards he's averaging he's seven he, he looked good in camp he looked good in the preseason and he looked good in the in the limited times he's gotten the, to carry the ball in the regular season he Give hasn't him, had a he touch should be playing more i agree he hasn't had a touch since week two i know he, he missed a game or two with an injury but like 
stop like what are we doing like and the coaching staff at least like seems to like him or they have in the past i don't know like why he yeah, is not they've kept playing him around since 2018 yeah if he's well, yeah if he's here then <laughs> what are we doing um so i would like to see an adjustment there i think that's important i am i'm not knock on wood i'm not trying to you know make this jinx anything but like Yonder Swift went down, I'd be really concerned because if Gainwell oh, yeah. is your top back, you're screwed. You're freaking screwed at that point, um, or at least the way he's playing right now. I wanted to get to one more thing on Swift, who, okay. like, this wasn't like a superstar game for him. He's a better games of the season, but I thought he just, he ran so hard. He made the most out of every touch, I feel like. Uh, 17 carries for 70 yards, 4.1 average. Like, I think just, like, he passes the eye test. That's very clear. And, uh, his 30 receiving yards that he had in this game, that's 22.5% of Kenny Gainwell's receiving yards from all of last year combined. And it's 48.7 of Miles Sanders receiving yards uh, from last year already in just one game. Like, that's pretty crazy to me. By the way, Miles Sanders struggling in Carolina, with the Panthers. And uh, <clears throat> I was going to, I didn't, I didn't intentionally try to bring this up here, but tangent, I think Miles Sanders doesn't, probably get enough criticism for how bad he was in the Super Bowl. Like Jonathan Gannon has rightfully been vilified for being pathetic in that game. Mm-hmm. My center is really bad in that near fumble that got overturned. The fumble that was originally rolled one. Right. Like that was he very close. That, he got lucky that a body part hit just before the ball came out. That was, that was very close. And yeah. uh, anyway, and he fumbled on the sideline. He was lucky that ball first play of the game. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I think the Eagles win the Super Bowl if they have DeAndre Swift. Like they just not. It's not like the offense was the only reason they lost, but they couldn't get a run game going. And if they had DeAndre Swift, I think they would have been able to. Anyway, sorry, not to pile on Miles. I thought he did a lot of good things here, but it's just I think you're seeing the difference now between like a good kind of running back and a special. He was kind good of running because back. the offensive line was good. Yes, and Swift is clearly benefiting from an offensive line but he's also making things happen on his own as well and yes and giving you really good uh production and, and is just clearly flat out better than miles sanders was all right let's all take right. another break here jimmy but not before we hear about our favorite adult beverage option wrong crowd beer company wrongcrowdbeer.com what do you love about wrong crowd beer jimmy well, oktoberfest is really good I've been I've been pounding those back. Uh, not right now because I'm sick, but uh, also it's eleven eleven. The <laughs> yeah, I'm not drinking this morning. Uh, and the quarterback factory, which is their one of their new yes. releases as of the beginning of the of the football season, those are good. Um, but yeah, I mean the, that everything. I pretty I think pretty much every beer that I've tried has been good so far. Those happen to be my two favorite. But you can order online from them at wrongcrowdbeer.com if you're in PA. Uh, check them out in Westchester. It's not only a brewery, but it's also a restaurant. Food was good. Mm-hmm. Rich Bobby had the wings. They he said they were delicious. What was the one that uh, our, our friend, friend Alex had? Alex had the um, jalapeno bacon wrapped jalapeno poppers. I really want to try those. Um, he said they were. He replied right, and he yes. said that they were that, that they were good. Yep. And uh, yeah, and and they are they should be in your favorite beer store too. So if you go in there, ask them for where the wrong crowd beer is, and if they don't have it, say yo goober. Where's the wrong crowd beer? Wrongcrowdbeer.com. We'll be back after this. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back here on BGN Radio. Jimmy, anything else left over from the game that you want to discuss? Yeah, I mean, just from a 60,000-foot view, they're 5-0. and mm. And, you know, heading into Sunday Night Football after the Eagles game was over, Eagles fans could kind of sit back and they could watch the 49ers-Cowboys game and they could go, all right, well, if the Cowboys lose, the Eagles have a two-game advantage on, you know, in the NFC East. Mm. And if the 49ers lose, the Eagles are the lone remaining undefeated team in the NFL. So uh, couldn't go wrong either way there. As we saw, the 49ers beat the living crap out of the Cowboys, and the Eagles now have themselves a nice cushion. Only five games in, two-game lead uh, on the Cowboys, which I don't think you know we would have anticipated at this point. Certainly isn't a huge shock, but um, I think a, a two-game advantage in the NFC East is a pleasant surprise for Philly fans after just five games. Uh, allow me to get ahead of myself for a second. There is a scenario where the Eagles, who are six and a half point favorites against the Jets, at least opened that way. I haven't checked the line since. Find a way to beat a team they've never lost to, literally, in the history of the NFL, dating back to uh, their first matchup in 1973, 50 years. Assuming the Eagles can take care of business against the Jets. And the Kellen Moore revenge game comes into fruition with the Chargers beating the Cowboys, which I'm not counting on. But if it does, there's a scenario where the Eagles are 6-0. Oh, they can win that game. Absolutely. I think they can, but I'm not. What was that line? Probably like two or three? I I have abandoned giving the Chargers any benefit of the doubt whatsoever. That's so <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah. I would love to see it. But yeah, I'm saying there's a scenario there where the Eagles are three games up on Dallas. And look, um, that... Banking these wins, as we've talked about, is incredibly important because the Eagles schedule is about to get a lot tougher. They have a big stretch here where you just you look at the list and you're like, well, that's a good team. That's a good team. Uh, so I think the Jets are more competitive than and we'll get into the Jets you know, later this week. So I'm not going to give all my takes on them yet. But um, even let's just put the Jets aside for a second and look after this week. OK, you play the Dolphins, play the Commanders, who don't look intimidating certainly after getting blown out by the freaking bears, but the Eagles went to overtime with, uh, and Cowboys chiefs, bills, 49ers, Cowboys, again, Seahawks. And then you have that, what seems like to be a softer finish to the season with giants, Cardinals, giants. But you know, this stretch starting really next week is a tough one. Now I will note here that every Eagles opponent upcoming has some kind of significant injury news to come out of week five. Whereas I think mm-hmm. the Eagles seem to make it through relatively unscathed. I don't really remember too many players leaving Sunday's game. We would have. So as we're recording this, it's eleven fifteen. Usually like, I mean, the game happened two days ago. We would have probably heard something by now if there was some significant Eagles. Possibly. Some, possibly not. Some we didn't know about the Cox reporter would have. Yeah, that's true. Well, you're right. I guess he did show up on the injury report with the back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that, yeah, I guess that's right. But you, more often than not, Agreed. if it's a serious injury, we hear something by now. So I want to run through some of those. Week 6 Jets game. 
Jets starting right tackle, who's also played at right guard in the past, and including earlier this season. Elijah Vera Tucker out for the rest of the 2023 20, season. Tough. Torn Achilles. That's very tough for them. Let me read you this quote from Gangrene Nation, the SB Nation Jets blog. Quote, this is a huge loss for the Jets. Vera Tucker has been the team's most consistent lineman in the last two seasons. Just cannot seem to catch a break injury-wise. Now the Jets will need to figure out how to make it through the rest of the season without him again. He is their best offensive lineman on an offensive line that has allowed the eighth most sacks this year. And his backup, Max Mitchell, who's a 2022 fourth-round pick, has allowed 15 pressures in 251 career pass blocking snaps. That's not good. Oh, that's all he's played? Okay. Yes. Well, it's pass blocking snaps. He's played about like, right. I think oh, like yeah, right. 400. Okay. So or, probably about 500. Yeah, yeah, 500 total. And we talked about Hassan Reddick heating up. Well, now Max Mitchell yeah, has to face Hassan yeah. Reddick. So that is not yeah. really looking good for them. Um, do you want me to roll, roll through the rest of these? Yeah. Here? Yeah, let's hit them. Okay. Uh, Dolphins, who. Just broke an NFL record for the most yards through five games. They're averaging 513.6 yards per game. It's pretty insane. Uh, Going to be likely without rookie running back who's been – he's averaging 12.6 yards per carry. Or Sorry, 12.1. Devin Achan. I think he's now Devon Achan. I think he was – Devon Achan? They, they called him – yeah, he, was, he was Devin Achan in when, at Texas A and M, but he's now he now has like Devon, the apostrophe A-chan. and the camel the camel case is he's now Devon mm. Achan. Okay, um, or maybe he was Devon Achan all along. Well, I heard it's it not Achan. I heard it's Achan. I remember oh. Schefter tweeted that. Okay, out. all right. So, I don't know how you say this guy's anyway, name. Anyway, he's good, and he's super case. fast. <laughs> yeah, he's insane. Again, um, his production this year has been off the charts. He has 527 yards and seven touchdowns. Like, again, 12.1 yards per carry. That's a, that's insane. Now, the Dolphins still have a lot of offensive weapons, so it's not like, oh, they lose him. Now they're not going to score at all. But still, um, the to be able to not have to face him is a favorable development for the Eagles. Really quickly, I'll mention that in week eight, Commanders game, former Eagle, Jeremy Reeves, uh, actually... Well, real quick, before we move on from the Dolphins... Okay. what else you got? Teron Armstead is also out. Okay. He's on IR, and then they... Oh, uh, before I the season, missed that, yeah. Yeah, he's on IR, so that's a, that's a big loss for them. He's their best he's offensive out, lineman he's, by he's far. He's been out for at least a game. I don't know if it's been two games, but at least one. Mm-hmm. Um, and their offense has kind of cooled off a little bit since he's been out. And then uh, Jalen Ramsey uh, got hurt mm-hmm. before the season began, so he was a big part of their plans this year. Um, and their defense isn't that good. So, like, they've given up a lot of points. Mm-hmm. They've they've just outscored their opponents. And John, John Ramsey being out is part of that as well. Uh, the Commanders one's quick. But, uh, yeah, former Eagle Jeremy Reeves was actually first-team All-Pro and Pro Bowl last year as a special teams player. So, the Commanders seems like they're going to be without him. He suffered a partially torn ACL. So, um, a, a hit to their special teams unit. Also... The aforementioned Dallas Cowboys got embarrassed on national television on Sunday night. Always good to see. Uh, as if getting blown out wasn't bad enough, they also got banged up in that game. I know Tyler Biotis got banged up at one point. Their offensive line uh, hadn't had they, they they finally had the offensive line that they were hoping to have against the 49ers since I think like the start of last year since they drafted Tyler Smith. Like they wanted to have the offensive line look a certain way. But between Tyron Smith being hurt and other players being hurt, just like wasn't coming to fruition. Finally had it last week. I haven't seen anything that indicates like anyone from the offensive line is going on IR or anything. But just worth noting that there's still some, they're binged up a little bit there. More notably, Leighton Vander Esch, who is second on the 
Cowboys in tackles, and is like one of their best run defenders on a run defense that hasn't mm-hmm. been good this year. Right, uh, is expected to go on IR potentially. Oh, missed, is he? I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah okay. four to six games. And there's oh, talk is that a neck injury, neck injury, which has been you know a career concern with him, and part of why yeah. I think he fell a little bit maybe further than he would have in the draft. Um, seeing here from blogging the boys that there's talk that they might move Micah Parsons to more of an off ball role. Oh, that's so that's so dumb. Which yeah, is incredibly <laughs> dumb and would neuter his some of his best ability. Yes. So like that could be a really interesting injury to track in terms of how the Cowboys manage that. And again, even if they keep Parsons where he is, um, they're losing a really good run defender in Leighton Vander Esch. And uh so Duran Bland leave that game. Yes. Like he got he walked off, but I think he came back in. Okay. I think it was just cramps or something like that that he left. I saw with, that as he well. came back in. Yeah, and that would be a big uh, deal because he's filling in for Trayvon Diggs. Jordan Lewis, I think, got hurt. He's their slot. Since Bland was their slot, and then Diggs was lost for the season, and then Bland became a starter full time on the outside, yep. and Jordan Lewis became the slot. I think Jordan Lewis got banged up. Donovan Wilson went down in that game. Yes. He's I don't know if uh, they're they have three safeties that they play mm-hmm. in curse. Uh, Wilson, Wilson, and oh man, who's the third guy? Malik Cooker. Yeah, yeah. Um. So anyway, Wilson's a good player. I don't know what I don't know what the extent of his injury was, but he could not walk off the field on mm-hmm. his own power. Uh, it looked like an ankle or a foot, maybe. But yeah, they in addition to getting their asses kicked <laughs> on the scoreboard, it also kind of got their asses kicked uh, on the field too. And uh, even further. CJ Goodwin, he's like their special teams ace uh-huh. guy. And a corner, yep. And yeah, and plays at corner or depth at corner. Uh the phrasing here is since his arrival, he's been the tone setter for the third phase of the game on Dallas. That's from Blogging the Boys. He is out for the season, it looks like. Oh, okay. Um, so that's a big deal. And also uh Cavante Turpin, who is the Cowboys top return guy. Maybe the best return guy in the league. He's he's I mean he has a lot of juice like he's he's fat and now you see he had a touchdown. He hurt the Eagles last year. He did, and he, <laughs> yeah. he had a touchdown. He's the the only player who scored the touchdown against the 49ers with that. Not you know obviously a regular contributor on offense, but they've been trying to work him more in as like a gadget guy who can kind of give yeah. you an explosive play here and there. Um, he's supposed to be out four to six weeks with a high ankle sprain, so that hurts their special teams and their offense a little bit. Uh, Eagles obviously host the Cowboys in week nine before then playing them in Dallas in week 14. So point being, uh, a lot of the Eagles upcoming opponents are banged up here. Yeah. And they've actually been more injured than most of their opponents so far this year. Yes. They had some big, you know, I think the Patriots were more, more banged up, especially on the offensive oh, line. Oh yeah, the Eagles but roster these, was healthy. <laughs> There's no one, no one on there. Yeah. Before. Right. But these last two weeks, the, the commanders were barely had anyone out. And then the Rams were, Almost they had their, their backup quarterback was the only guy on IR of note, and then you know they were missing their right their starting right guard, but otherwise they were fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So any, I guess we can wrap up, right? Yeah, we can wrap up. Any final thoughts, Jimmy? Hmm. That flight, man, to LA, it's not fun. <laughs> and the way back, by the way, like if you if you cover a team, you well, my flight was at six a.m. So you're getting like not a lot of sleep before that. And then because of the time difference, you know, it's like a five hour flight or whatever it is, plus the three hour time difference, you know, you're losing like eight hours that day. That's probably partly why I'm a little run down or whatever. But uh yeah, it's uh tough getting back into the swing of things. Not that anyone cares, but that's just my own little 
thought off the top of my head that I because I didn't have a final thought prepared. I have a thought for you, and I'm buying time because I was I did mean to, can you look up the Colts red zone ranking while I'm giving my you know what I thought? will I will note quickly that like travel matters in terms of these you know these teams uh when they yeah. have like these long west coast trips and Jalen Hurts even alluded to that in his post game press conference like it's a, it's hard to fly out to the west coast and and win games like this and i think that the underrated portion of the eagles schedule that's going to be really hard mm-hmm. is just before christmas when they fly out to dallas and then they're not staying out there so they're coming home after that dallas game and then they fly right back out to seattle the following weekend that is going to i think that's the and this is already at these two games are after they have to play what? I mean, the next games are Dolphins, Commanders, Cowboys, Bye, mm-hmm. Chiefs, Bills, 49ers, <laughs> and then that two game stretch against the Cowboys and Seahawks. That is a gauntlet, man. And that travel does kind of wear on you after a while. But they don't have another flight, by the way, until like late November. The next flight they have, the next plane they have to get on will be for the Chiefs game. In, on, uh, and that's coming off of November bye. 20th. Yeah, right. Uh, okay. So by the way, Colts rank 16th. So they're middle of the pack in red zone offense this year, which is better than they were last year. Certainly. So I'm, again, I'm sure Shane Steichen has helped them and his absence. May have yeah. I mean, the they, Eagles, don't, they don't really have great players, but like, all right. It's not like he's like first in the, my point is it's not just him. I'm actually seeing a tweet here from like, uh, an NFL network kind of thing. Like that kind of seems to be maybe putting some of the blame on or, or like, you know, p- putting too much credit to Stike in there. Again, there's there's more issues than that. I would get the good Jalen Carter stat for you here before my final thought. This is from uh, John Ganode, Eagles PR. Since 2016, when NFL next-gen stats pressure data began being tracked, only two NFL defensive tackles have recorded at least 25 pressures, at least three and a half sacks, and at least two forced fumbles in the first five games of a season. And that is Aaron Donald and is Jalen Carter. Wow. So there you go. Uh, my final thought, little Phillies talk. Phillies, they blew it, Jimmy. They had a, they're up 4-0 in the Braves in Atlanta, game two. Half stranded a bunch of players on base. Look, I defer to people who cover the Phillies, you know, regularly in baseball. Like, I defer to the Phillies people a lot of the time. But so if I'm talking out of my butt here, so be it. But I really feel like the biggest reason the Phillies lost that game is what how they handled Zach Wheeler. And I've seen like a lot of or heard a lot of talk since then that like it wasn't the worst thing to do because you're trusting your ace, you're putting them back out there. It's not a hindsight thing. As Zach Wheeler came into that inning, I was kind of surprised they put him back in a little bit, just based on how in game one, you know, they took out Ranger Suarez obviously pretty quickly. They had a quick hook right. with Ranger. So I was like, and I know Zach Wheeler was mowing people down. I get it. But his pitch count was starting to creep up a little bit. And they might have to use them in game five. So, like, you kind of you can't just, like, you have to monitor that. And my thinking there was, like, okay, I give him one at bat. Like, I give him one batter, maybe a stealing out. And if you get a guy out, okay, yeah, sure, keep going. But as soon as someone gets on base, my thought was, like, take him out. Just take him out of the game as soon as someone gets on base. They didn't do that. He was kept in, and he got a strikeout. So, I was, like, okay. Um, oh, so by, by the way, real quick, on that hit, he was hit hard. You know, that's like a bad thing in baseball. Like, it's not just like a soft contact, you know. Yeah, he got barreled up. Yeah. So he got hit hard. And I was like, okay, get him out of the game. And they didn't. Again, he strikes out the next step batter. Okay, great. But I was like, okay, now definitely get him out of the game. You stole an out. Great. 
you're through six and one. You st- like, great. Go to the bullpen. Just like you did last game. You had to trust in them last game. He didn't. He allows the home run. And at that point, I was like, just didn't love that. So I know other bad stuff happened. The Trey Turner error. Uh, obviously, Jeff Hoffman, who has been Errors. great this year. Well, I guess the first one didn't cost yes. him. But, uh, but yeah, that I mean, it was very weird play where he's just the cutoff guy. And yep. He, Can't he, handle it. He, he duffed it. Yeah. Uh, but I think I thought they lost that game because it wasn't seven or eight nothing. Instead of I agree the the missed you know leaving people on base obviously hurts you but I still think I just I I'm not a big blame the coach guy I think you know that I'm usually very against that uh, I lean towards yeah, against the players the players win and lose games I, I but I think and I and I like Rob Thompson and I think he handled game one great but I do think he messed up I think it's fair to say he messed up on this game and to be to spin it forward I'm not worried about the Phillies I think they're going to end up winning this series still especially with two games in Philly I think they might even close it out in four but um I don't want to hear oh well a split was a desirable result anyway I don't want to hear that after you blow a 4-0 lead like that like you had a chance to stomp on their throats to not even give them any life and now you gave them life so that's not great I don't love that uh anyway that's my Phillies Braves acting like they won the World Series after that game by the way (laughs) Yeah, I'm, and that's part of why I'm not worried about it because they're like over celebrating. Uh, it took everything that happened. Like they got, they stole the game from the Phillies. Like the Phillies yeah. obviously outplayed. Oh, it's a huge them. win for them, no question. But come on, let's dial it back, guys, a little bit. It's one-one. Phillies had like what ten hits. Braves had I don't know whatever five, like six five, whatever. Like the, the Phillies outplayed them in that game. They didn't win the game, but like they were. I thought the Phillies were the better team. Not worried about the Phillies. I just think that Rob Thompson certainly. Whereas he helped win them game one, I think he hurt them in game two in a key spot. And uh, I just had to get that off my chest because I just, that's honestly how I was feeling after the game. I was like, I can't stop thinking about, I thought, like, I just thought it was clear. I thought it was clear and I, it's not hindsight. I said it out loud in the moment. I was watching the game with uh, James Seltzer and a, a few other friends. And uh, I just, I thought that they should have pulled Wheeler there. So they didn't. It's all right. Phillies will be playing the Braves on game three on Wednesday night. This isn't By the place. way, how is, how is Strider allowed to stay in the dugout when he's yelling F you at the, at the umpire on a, on a ball that was a strike, by the way, it was, a, it yeah. was clearly a strike and he's yelling F you from, from I was yelling from the F dugout. you. I was yelling. I couldn't believe the Braves didn't think, <laughs> thought that was a ball. That was pathetic. I was yelling <laughs> F you at Strider back at him at the TV. I was like, give me a break. Such a loser team. Yeah. Loser team complaining about two or like kind of putting sentiment out there. It seems like about how it's unfair that the division winners or whoever, you know, like, like the top yes. seed, they get the rest. I saw a really good meme uh, on Twitter. I forget who tweeted it out. That was like, but basically, so it's this little guy or like a warrior kind of with a sword. And it's like having extra. Uh, no, it's like the best baseball team of all time. The best regular one of the best regular seasons of all time. Like the Braves were. Like that's yeah. the little thing, and then there's like this massive like monster, uh, like looming over a tower, and it's like a couple days of rest. <laughs> it's like, oh no, <laughs> not a couple days of rest. The only thing that could possibly stop us. Like, come on, so pathetic, losers. So I really hope the Phillies win this series. I think they will. I do. I genuinely do believe in them. I'm not worried about them. I just think they, you know, blew a, a great opportunity. Who's your to... most hated uh, baseball team? Hmm, that's a good question. I feel like you have an answer ready to go. I don't know if I do. I mean, I think I I can narrow it down to four. I got the Braves, mm. Mets, Yankees, and I'll throw the Astros in there too because I just oh. don't like cheaters. 
Yeah, that is true. Uh, I bet. I mean, obviously the Astros kind of you know beating us in the World Series and the cheating. Yeah, I mean it's very similar to the Patriots. But I can't. But like everyone hates the Astros, just like everyone hates the Patriots. So right. I, you can't give them that credit of being your, like if you say you hate the Patriots the most, you're giving them too much. Especially when Brady was there, like you're giving them too much satisfaction, and it's it's like a status thing. If you're if you're the Patriots and every team fan base is saying they hate you the most, like you welcome that. So I don't want to give them the well, credit. But I for that. right. So but I wouldn't say that about like the Warriors, for example, in basketball. They're, okay. they're just good because they're good. Whereas these teams won. I mean, there's a there's a huge cloud of suspicion, and yeah, I mean, not even suspicion. They both got caught red-handed cheating. So, like, you know, they're, they're they may perhaps unjustly won. That's why I hate them. Not so much because they're good. That's tough. I'm thinking the Cardinals. You know, are in the Cardinals are in there too. I should not omit that. And the Giants. You I was know, gonna say the, the Giants. That, I yeah. I mean, so part of that, you know, is from the the previous run of playoff success and whatnot. Yeah. Um, the Giants, especially, that was that was tough to lose to them, and they they were like because they just had like the flukiest World Series, like they just they weren't even like good. That the that team that the Phillies lost to that Giants team was not. They had good pitching, some good pitching, but like their haters stunk, and they just got like the most most like fortuitous. They got like um that one guy I forget his name, Cody something, uh, Cody Ross, yeah Cody Ross like off the scrap heap, and he just turned into be like a star for them, like just they, just total luck. Uh, I'm trying the to Cardinals think. are like the Mets of the uh, of MLB. Where like the Mets are, they're all they're all they're all about class. Yeah, <laughs> and like and the, the Cardinals maybe are not, not so much class, but ooh, their fans are they really they really know the game better than any other fans in the in the world. I think it's the Braves because like they've been good. They've given us pro- like the Mets. I can't Mets stink. They're and they're I, I just don't fear them. They're a joke. It's like. I can't say the Giants are the biggest Eagles' biggest it's, rival. It's it's hard to hate the Mets. I agree. They're also kind of like the Giants in that they've just yeah they're they've pathetic. Just been, they're really bad, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and they're overhyped, and every year they play, mm-hmm. you know, be, they do not meet expectations, and yeah. usually not even close. Yeah, I'll go with the Braves. What about you? Got to pick the team. I I think it's Braves for me too. Okay, I'm with you. Obviously, being in the heat of the series does only yeah, right. helps. Like the Padres that. last year, I, I didn't care yeah, about who them. Cares? When know, the Eagles, like... or the Phillies beat the Rays in the World Series, like who cares? I told you I'm not as big of a Yankee hater as a lot of Philly people probably are, in part because I grew up near the Double A Stadium, so I used to go to the Yankee games and I like knew some of the minor league players. Like or I was familiar with them, mm. and um, I have some family members who are from New Jersey who like the Yankees. So I just my beef was I I don't like the way that I, I like the turn that baseball took where you know to be and I, I guess like a lot of teams are winning anyway without big payrolls, but just it's so slanted in the favor of. You know, teams that sure. can afford, and the Phillies are benefiting from that. Like, no, hey, yeah, let's, not, let's let's like let's let's not uh, <laughs> let's, let's not you know bullshit anyone here. Like, they're benefiting because they have a huge payroll. Mm-hmm. But I kind of don't like that. I like how the NFL, everyone's kind of on an even plane, and yep. you have to you know build a roster through your brain as yep. opposed to just handing over gigantic paychecks. And yep. of course, you can point to the Yankees as being you know sort of the the team that really push the envelope on just trying to buy championships. I, again, I'm not going to defend the Yankees, but it's also a part of a thing where they just won so much that it feels like it doesn't even mean anything anymore. It's like, oh, 27, <laughs> cha- whatever, how many championships <laughs> right. they've won. It's right. just like, okay. Oh, it's 28 now? Who cares? Yeah, who cares? <laughs> You've won a lot. It doesn't matter. 
All right, uh, that's some good baseball discussion. It's podcast. been a while though. They haven't won. They haven't won in a lot. Well, I guess well, the last like time was when they beat the Phillies, right? Uh, I thought they won another one after that. I don't know. But if you want more Phillies content, you can check out uh, the Good Fight, the Good Fight with a PH on SB Nation's Phillies blog. So check them out. Check out our friend, good our good friend John Stolness, who, in addition to covering the Eagles here at Bleeding Green Nation, also covers the Phillies as well. So check those out. Uh, that's it for BGN Radio. Three five five. Jimmy and I will be back with you later this week for the Eagles Jets Week Six preview. Looking forward to getting into that podcast. We appreciate all the ratings, reviews, and such you're leaving. We appreciate you supporting our sponsors, which again you can find their info in the episode description here, along with our social media handles. Uh, my work available at bleedingyournation.com. Jimmy Kemsky's work available at phillyvoice.com. We will talk to you later this week. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.